With all the talk about going green, I look at some of the things we do and question if we are doing more harm than good. Now more than ever, we seem to use every R word in the book. Reuse, recycle, regenerate, reclaim, reabsorb, recreate, and even more. But is all of this just a public performance? Are we just showing off instead of showing up? In this episode, I want to discuss performative environmentalism. And by doing so, I am going to make you feel bad about some of your green choices. But then I'm going to tell you how you can truly make a difference. So stick around for Recycling Part 2. We need to ditch performative environmentalism. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode number 78, Recycling Part 2, We Need to Ditch Performative Environmentalism. Before we get started, I would like to once again just remind you, if you want to contact me with questions, concerns, or even suggestions on content, especially if there is something in particular you want to hear about, then you can contact me at adventuresinsustainableliving at gmail.com. Again, that is adventuresinsustainableliving at gmail.com. So let's get right down to today's discussion. With all the talk these days about going green, reducing your carbon footprint, and recycling more and more these days, we hear the R word. This is usually one of the following. Reuse, recycle, regenerate, reclaim, reabsorb, recreate, and even more. But typical to my personality, I just got to wondering if we are actually doing the right thing. Are we actually approaching this in the right way, or are we just showing off instead of showing up? Meaning, is all of this just a public performance and we are not even solving the underlying problem? Are we showing off our green choices and making ourselves feel good, all the while missing the most important point of all? And this is the basis of performative environmentalism. In this episode, I first want to discuss how we developed this recycling mentality to begin with, where it came from and who started it. Secondly, I want to define performative environmentalism and give you some good examples of how that works and what it means. Thirdly, I want to show you that in many ways, the small little things that we do to make ourselves feel better about the environment may actually be meaningless. Then I'm going to show you that industry does nothing to pr- but promote this wasteful cycle. 
And lastly, I want to tell you how you can actually make a difference. In light of all the talk about going green these days, several months ago, I asked myself if there was any one thing that I did that had zero impact on the environment. The short answer to that is no. It turns out that just being here on planet Earth, living and breathing, does have some impact. And anything we do beyond that, such as living our daily lives, has even further impact. But that said, we all can't just sit around and live like a bunch of zombies. We have to get on with the business of life. But while living our lives, we have to keep in mind one of the basic principles of sustainability is having as little impact as possible. And part of the solution to that is to minimize our use of resources and then, of course, reclaim what we use by recycling. But as I have stated before, that has challenges as well. But until we solve some of our biggest problems, we still cannot ignore recycling. But before you cement this idea in your head that going green is actually a good idea, I would say it depends on how you go about it. But before we even get to that, taking a look at where we came from offers some valuable insight into why we are where we are today and why everything is such a mess. Once upon a time in our culture, maybe about 75 years ago, if you wanted something to eat, or if you just wanted a cup of coffee, you actually sat down in a restaurant and you were served food on a china plate and coffee in a porcelain mug. This was the ideal circular model for doing business. The restaurant owner sold you food and coffee and there was very little waste. And in fact, there were very few litter bins on the street because there wasn't a lot of trash. Beverages such as Coke and beer were produced and distributed locally because bottles were expensive and heavy and transportation was slow. But again, this was a circular system because bottles were collected, washed, and used again. And additionally, the producer actually took responsibility for the product and the packaging. Milk and even some foods were worked worked much in the same way. Milk came in glass bottles and it was delivered right to your door. And consequently, with this circular system, there were bottlers, breweries, and dairies in every small city and town. It was very simple. It was a very circular model. Local businesses operated by local people serving a local market. But then came the urban sprawl and the development of the interstate highway system. Now most people don't know is that a big part of that was a military move by the government, but the end result is that it was now easy to move things around by truck. And of course, this ease of mobility did not go unnoticed. A man named Bill Coors recognized the opportunity 
and based his central brewery in Colorado. He is the one that actually invented the aluminum beer can and made it open source so that all other breweries could take advantage of the idea. And canned beer quickly became the new American standard. With the new highways and ease of mobility, a new way of eating was developed. There was no longer any need for expensive brick and mortar businesses when people could just eat in their cars. And furthermore, disposable packaging was vastly more efficient. And by the 1960s, automobile ownership was commonplace. And fast food was the fastest growing sector of the restaurant industry. And people now ate out of paper with either foam or paper cups, plasticware for utensils, and everything was disposable. The problem that soon developed was that no one knew what to do with the trash. When there were china plates and porcelain mugs, there was no trash. And consequently, people either threw the garbage on the ground or out the car window. And as a result of this, the Keep America Beautiful program was developed by Philip Morris, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, and Anheuser-Busch. This program pushed the message that each person was responsible for the destruction of nature and completely downplayed the role of industry in creating a disposable product in the first place. And this was actually the beginning of placing environmental responsibility on the consumer. Then, after years and years of people being well-trained to pick up their trash, a different problem emerged. The trash dumps were filling up. So in steps the government with stricter manufacturing standards, bottle bills, the outlawing of water dumping, and restrictions on new incinerators. The industry options for dealing with the waste associated with their products was quickly narrowing. And so, recycling was invented. Now recycling is shoved at us from every angle when the reality is that it is an extraordinary scam. We are taught that recycling is the most virtuous thing we can do and we even pay serious taxes to make sure it gets done. We now get personal validation from doing the right thing and we feel less guilty about throwing things away. However, this ingrained behavior just becomes a license to buy more product, which in turn leads to more production and the selling of more stuff. The reality is that somewhat that this somewhat circular system is just performative environmentalism. We feel good about what we do when we recycle, but we are once again missing the most important point. Performative environmentalism is when a person acts in environmentally friendly ways just for the sake of uplifting and promoting their own virtue and appearance, or just making themselves feel better rather than genuinely desiring to protect and preserve the planet. It is what I call showing off instead of showing up. But as you likely well know, 
Going green is a hot topic these days. And consequently, industry is responding by producing huge swaths of environmentally friendly products. But this is just performative environmentalism to a higher degree, but served up in the form of greenwashing. So when a company puts more time and money into their appearance of being green, when behind the scenes, when the behind the scenes reality is something quite opposite, that is called greenwashing. A perfect example of this is when British Petroleum launched this huge advertising campaign to promote how environmentally friendly they are when behind the scenes they were purchasing gas and oil wells at a record rate. Another perfect example is when the Apple company advertises that they are increasing the percentage of recycled components in their products while making absolutely no attempt to alter their underlying business model of pressuring people to purchase new phones every year. And another perfect example is what I call the straw wars. While I am certain that most people have heard of this, I am also certain that most people don't actually realize the extent of this issue. It all seemed to start with a video of a sea turtle with a straw stuck in its nose that went viral on social media. Now, before I go on here, I you have to remember that I am both a veterinarian and a scuba diving instructor, so anything that saves animals, the environment, our oceans, and our planet, of course, is a good thing. However, I also hold the opinion that those little keyboard warriors who march the anti-straw brigade through the streets of social media are doing nothing more than stoking the fires of performative environmentalism which does more harm than good. Such things cause people to focus on small individual actions that are almost completely meaningless. So in other words, our attention is once again distracted from the most important point. Now, these straw wars eventually caused the city of Seattle to ban the use of plastic straws in all food service industries. And additionally, New York City and Charleston, South Carolina and Miami Beach, Florida also have their own versions of these types of bans. But while most of us might stand up and hail the fact that as a culture, we won a small victory with the straw wars and likely saved untold numbers of sea turtles, which of course makes us congratulate ourselves, this only serves as a diversion from the fact that straws only make up 1% of plastic pollution in the ocean and 40% of our plastic waste results from single-use plastic products. So while it may seem virtuous to ban the use of in-flight straws, that flight from San Francisco to New York generates about 3 tons of CO2 per person. And when you patronize a local fast food restaurant on your way home and feel good about politely refusing the straw, you overlook the fact that the fast food industry produces 32 billion pounds of food waste per year and results in 676 million pounds of other waste 
as a result of their services. But oh please, please, I am just fine without the straw. But this is a prime example of performative environmentalism. We are doing small individual acts that make us feel good, but we are missing the real point. I have noticed in recent months that more and more plastic food containers, especially the, the plastic drink bottles, have written on the label a little note that says, Recycle Me. So I, of course, dutifully rinse the bottle, remove the label, and drop it in a recycle bin. It makes me feel as if I'm doing the right thing, but this small action fails to address the fact that 1.3 billion plastic bottles are used each day and only 30% get recycled. It fails to address why industry is still producing single-use plastics in the first place. This is performative environmentalism in the most harmful way. So let's take, for example, the bottled water industry, which I discussed in my episode titled A Bottle of Deception. This industry was invented by convincing us that bottled water was better, and meanwhile we pay 1,000 times more for the convenience of it being in a bottle. And their marketing ploy was fabulous. In fact, one of PepsiCo's marketing vice presidents said to investors a number of years ago, when we are done, tap water will be relegated to showers and washing dishes. And all those plastic bottles will no longer be considered garbage. The Coca-Cola company's director of sustainability packaging says, our vision is to no longer have our packaging viewed as being waste, but as a resource for future use. But this doesn't even broach the subject of what all these bottles are made of in the first place. And by far, the most common material that's used in drink bottles is a compound that's called polyethylene tetraphthalate, which is PET for short, and is used because it is strong, it's lightweight, it's economical and shatterproof, and can even be washed and used repeatedly and the recycling of these bottles is considered an enormous industry success. But the use of recycled PET, which is called RPET, is increasing due to the industry that's trying to go green. And to some degree, you know, this points to the circular economy by brand owners. But recycling PET is expensive. And the industry claims that it saves 50 to 60% of the energy required to make new plastic. But further studies on the safety of RPET is needed, and some studies even reveal that perhaps even more chemicals are leaching into food and drinks from this new material. Hopefully by now, you are starting to get the picture that we are actually focusing on the wrong things. Just because something can be recycled does not mean that it actually gets recycled. And that is the problem. Within 50 years, we have gone from reusable items to single-use disposable items that have become the bane of our existence. We actually spend 
billions of dollars to build and maintain landfills. We complain about dirty cities and plastic waste islands floating in the ocean. We are stuck in this perpetuating addictive cycle of consuming, recycling, and then consuming more. We continue our pervasive disposability practices that governments try and clean up and manage while we all accept this as a normal part of life while producers sidestep any responsibility for the end of life management of their products and designers perpetuate stuff designed for disposability instead of durability. And furthermore, if you really examine the impact that one person has on them on environmental change, you will find that it is a drop in the bucket compared to industry polluters. The impact that we have by purchasing a hybrid vehicle or converting to energy efficient light bulbs, going plastic free or going waste free, are insignificantly minor compared to the responsibility of big business and big oil. So at this point, you might be asking yourself if going green is even worth it, or you might start feeling that I am downplaying individual responsibility. But actually, I am not. But focusing on individual action is a grave error if it covers up the fact that industry has a much greater responsibility than the individual. But I will tell you what really does matter. I will tell you the real reason why individual action makes a big difference. If someone sees you recycling, they are more than likely to recycle. If your neighbor sees you installing solar panels, they are more likely to install solar panels. Then someone else does the same, then the next person and the next. So the power of individual action lies in the fact that social change starts with individual practice. And social change often affects legal changes. And that is what gets the ball rolling. So for those of you that have been following me for some time, you likely know very well how independently minded I am. I go out of my way to live as independently as possible, control as much of my resources as possible, and I maintain my self-employment, and within reason I make my own decisions. But that being said, there are so many things in the world that I cannot control. But my reaction to things that I cannot control is to position myself so as to minimize the impact. So for example, I of course cannot avoid paying taxes, but I can be self-employed and take advantage of numerous legal means to minimize my tax burden. I cannot control the price of gas, but I can get really creative and dramatically reduce my driving. I cannot control the price of food, but I can produce my own food. So the bottom line here is that I cannot save the planet, but I can reduce my impact and teach others how to do the same. And it's quite possible for each and every one of us to find small ways to control our own resources in a much more sustainable way, as opposed to being dependent on a supply chain 
that we cannot control. And since we literally live in the age of information, ignorance is truly a choice. Because there is no longer any excuse for anyone to not find out how to reduce their environmental impact. But however, you know, part of the problem with living in this age of information that we live in is that there is so much misinformation out there. So for example, for many years we were told that eggs and even potatoes were bad for you and tomatoes were once thought to be poisonous. And with so much information out there, it is often hard to know what to believe. But at the end of the day, a huge part of that misinformation comes from the producers of many of the products that we consume. These producers have convinced us that the consumers are to blame. They conveniently state that, oh, we are just the producers that are satisfying public demand. But it is these same companies that like to confuse the public and promote distrust in climate science and impede vital policy changes so they keep up profiting while the climate change is accelerating and the world is literally burning. But make no mistake, big industry and big oil are to blame for many of the environmental changes. Just 20 of these companies are responsible for 35% of global emissions. And the impact that we have as individuals is nothing compared to industry. One household going car free, flight free, or even going vegan may save four tons of emissions per year. But the world actually needs to slash tens of billions of tons annually and this type of change requires government investment and strong regulations. But while one individual cannot make a difference, the true power is in collective action. Individuals acting collectively will shift mores and norms, will change consumer culture, will curb emissions, and make drastic political change more likely. If only 1% of us takes action, then that could actually be enough to start changing our culture. And we also can't lose sight of the fact that it only took one single teenager to get the attention of the entire global community on the subject of climate action. But if we really truly want to convert to a circular economy, we are going to have to ditch performative environmentalism. So you may feel good about refusing the straw at the drive through window, but look at the amount of waste that the fast food industry produces. It may make you feel really good to take your reusable coffee cup to Starbucks, but what difference does that make when you sit for 20 minutes idling your gas-guzzling SUV at the drive through window? On one hand, you do something that makes you feel good, and on the other hand, you're ignoring the underlying problem in the first place and you're missing the point. And this is performative environmentalism. You have to remember that the greenest waste is the waste that you never produce. Recycling, albeit a good thing, should be the last resort. And the whole point of this episode is that we need to address the underlying problem 
which is our wasteful lifestyle. Instead of making ourselves feel good about recycling, because you know what? We shouldn't be producing all of the waste in the first place that we have to take such great efforts to try and recover that resource. At the end of the day, we are going to have to do more than change our coffee cups. We are going to have to change our culture. And as a culture, we could actually sit down in a restaurant and drink coffee. We could buy beer in refillable and returnable bottles similar to what is done in the rest of the world. But that is going to require some lifestyle changes and some loss of convenience. That is going to require all of us to show up instead of showing off. But the added benefit is that we get to slow down and actually have a conversation. And you should never underestimate the power of a good conversation, which so many of us tend to forget about in our age of social media. And now, just to start wrapping things up here for this week, I want to remind you that if you have comments and questions or suggestions about content, then please contact me at adventuresinsustainableliving at gmail.com. And if you have enjoyed this episode, then please take the time to leave me with a review. And don't forget to subscribe to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast, as well as my companion blog, Off Grid Living News. So in closing, I want to leave you with a quote from Confucius. Life is really simple, but men insist on making it complicated. But it is possible to keep your life simple. All you have to do is go through life and leave only footprints. Live minimally, use only what you need, and be sustainable. This is your host Patrick, signing off until next week. Always remember to live sustainably, because this is how we build a better future.